this is the conference hour. We invite you now to a time of challenge and inspiration as we join in the refreshment of messages centered in the Word of God. Our speaker today is Dr. Calvin Thielman. His message, entitled Prophet 401, was recorded at the Montreat Presbyterian Church. And now let's give our attention to Dr. Thielman. The Old Testament. We're going back to the Old Testament, and we're going to get an old-fashioned lesson from an old-fashioned prophet. But I find that the young people today like to hear them. Uh, you know, there's one thing that young people uh, need to appreciate, and do appreciate, I think. Old people can really understand young people better than young people can understand old people. Because old people have been young, and young people have not been old. And so, <laughs> there are some old-fashioned truths that are very well worth listening to. And this is one of those wonderful passages of Scripture that needs to be drawn out of mothball and preached again. And so I'm reading from the Old Testament, the first book of Kings, chapter 22. And there continued three years without war between Syria and Israel, and it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we are still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people is thy people, my horses is thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men. And he said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said, Yes, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And then the king of Israel called an officer, and he said, Hurry and bring here Micaiah the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a threshing floor on the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, made horns of iron, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these thou shalt push the Syrians until they are consumed. And all the prophets prophesied. And they said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who was gone to call Micaiah spoke unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. 
And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto Micaiah, Shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered, Go up and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said, How many times shall I adjure you that you tell me nothing but that which is the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no king. Let them return every man to his own house in peace. And the king of Israel, Ahab, turned unto Jehoshaphat and said, Did I not tell thee that he wouldn't prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall go and persuade Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one of them said this manner, and another said that manner. And there came forth the Spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, By what means? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, one of the prophets, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel turned and said, Take Micaiah, carry him back to Ammon, give him to the governor of the city, to the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison. Feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come again in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return it all in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, All you people, hark. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this part of his word. Scattered throughout the Bible, uh, there are some books which are called the Minor Prophets. And there are some people who are also prophets about whom we know very little. But what we do know intrigues us so much that we wish that we knew a lot more about them. They did not write any books, and they left us no great literary heritage. But they were such examples of truth and courage as we need to hear about today. The Bible is a book that delights in contrast. We see in the very beginning Cain and Abel. 
we see Jacob and Esau, David and Saul, John and Judas, Paul and Nero. And there are striking contrasts that were put before us in the reading of the scripture that was read in your hearing a moment ago. You see, for about three years, there had been peace between Syria and Israel. And then the, the kingdom, of course, was divided at this time. Judah was ruled over by a good and godly man whose name was Jehoshaphat. But he was a not a strong person in many ways, and this comes out. Ahab, who is the king who comes to, who summons his Jehoshaphat for a visit, and puts on probably a big banquet and a great display of, of, uh, of the type of ceremony that would be impressive to a visitor and a, maybe a big banquet of some sort. And they get into a discussion. And Ahab, who is an apostate, one who has fallen away from the truth of God, one who married Jezebel, whose very name is synonymous with sexual immorality, and unfaithfulness to God. This man, Ahab, who had betrayed God, has called upon a godly man to go to battle with him. And in Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat is asked a very important question. Shouldst thou help the ungodly? Should you go into an alliance with that which is ungodly. Well, Jehoshaphat was going to be flattered and he was going to be talked into going to battle against the Syrians and to join forces with Ahab. And he makes a very interesting statement in his introductory remarks when the king had sent for him. The king said an interesting thing. We've been three years without any war. And he said, we have Ramoth Gilead, and we ought to go and take it. And Jehoshaphat, who should have known better, said to him, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses are as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat, a good man, compromises here. But after he has agreed, then Jehoshaphat has a second thought. How many times have you and I done similar things? We've all gotten together, and we've agreed to do something. And then after we think about it for a minute, we say, well, shouldn't we have prayed about this first? But we sometimes wait too late to pray. And uh, this is what happens here. And so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. And so the king of Israel gathered his own chapel. He had 400 of them. And he called them all together. I suppose it would be as many people as could be seated here comfortably in Gaither Chapel, 400 of them. And he said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And like an antiphonal chorus, they all said, Go up, 
for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Anytime you get 400 preachers all saying the same thing at the same time, look out. Get your hat and go home. Something's wrong. Unity is not always a virtue. And uh, it was not in this case. And Jehoshaphat had a sort of haunting feeling down in his heart as he heard that chorus saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and you'll conquer. That maybe these people really were not the kind of preachers that he was used to hearing preach. And that they were saying the soothing little words that the king wanted to hear. And maybe he just came from the type of backwoods prophet like Elijah would have been, that weird wild figure out of the desert that we'll look at next Sunday. And Jehoshaphat felt very uneasy about this arrangement. Uh, he had heard some old-time preaching. Back when they used to say that sin was black and hell was hot and heaven was sweet and judgment was certain and eternity was long. But the power of positive prophecy had sort of taken over. And the books on how to be happy and not follow the Lord were very popular too. And so we need a prophet. And Jehoshaphat has got enough sense to realize this. And so he says to the king of Israel, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, and this is a great compliment, there is yet one man, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Sometimes you will be better known for your enemy than you are for your friend. Every now and then someone will die and someone says to me, never had an enemy in the world. He never did a thing in the world either. You couldn't say of Jesus Christ, he never had an enemy in the world. You couldn't say of Peter, Paul, or any of the apostles, never had an enemy in the world. You couldn't say of Augustine, or Martin Luther, or John Calvin, or John Wesley, or George Whitfield, or Dwight L. Moody, or Billy Graham, or any other faithful preacher of the gospel. He never had an enemy in the world. Jesus said, you better look out when all men are speaking well of you. There may be some reason for it. Maybe you're saying what they want to hear instead of what I want you to say to them. And so there was that haunting feeling back in Jehoshaphat's heart that made him yearn for an old-time preacher to speak to him. And so he asked if there was not yet one that they could call for. And so Ahab says there's one. There's one, all right. There's Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. And you know what? Three years before, Micaiah had warned this man not to go to war. And I think he'd probably been in jail for three years, or at least under house arrest for three years. And so Ahab didn't want to see his face 
But in order to court the favor of Jehoshaphat and to put his conscience at ease, he sent for him. Then the king of Israel called one of his servants, and he said, Hasten, hurry, and go and bring Micaiah the son of Imlah. Go bring Micaiah. I call this sermon. What I call? <laughs> I forget the title. Prophet number 401. The 401st prophet. Prophet number 401. Sounds like an antique, doesn't it? Prophet number 401. Go back and get prophet number 401 out of jail and bring him up here so that we can hear what he has to say. And so there was a well-meaning servant who went to fetch him, and this fellow really meant no harm to Micaiah. He thought he was doing him a favor. And so while they were walking back to where the king was, the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him. And he said, look, all the words of the prophet are good that are being spoken to the king. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And the next verse is number 14, and you ought to mark it in your Bible, because it's the hallmark of a true prophet. Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord says unto me, that I will speak. It's hard to come by preachers like that. They don't always get through denominational headquarters. And they don't always get the biggest churches. And if they do, they don't always keep it. And so he came to the king. And the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we prepare? And here is a case of, of uh, there is a, First in Proverbs, it says, answer a fool according to his thought. And so here is a case of sarcasm, of irony that's spoken. If you think the Bible doesn't, or God doesn't have a sense of humor, you haven't read about Micaiah. Because here, Micaiah really puts into the acrid way in which he pronounces his message. Go and prosper. He's mimicking all these 400 preachers. Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Well, Ahab knew better than that. And he knew that he was mocking him. And so he said, how many times shall I tell you to tell me nothing but what is true in the name of the Lord? He really did not want the truth. And yet he asked for it. And that's exactly what Micaiah wanted him to do, because he wanted to tell him the truth. You know what he said? He said, I'll tell you the truth since you asked me, and you adjured me by God to tell you the truth. I'll tell you what the truth is. I looked and I saw all the armies of Israel scattered like sheep all over the mountain, and there was no leader. And you, O king, are the leader." And so this, of course, made the king very angry. And he, in his fury, said, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? But Micaiah wasn't finished with his sermon. He said, 
Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this manner, and another said that. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, By what means? And he said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. That's one way to do it. Get 400 liars together and get them to tell the king what he wants to hear. And a very usual way for the Lord to bring down the haughty is to allow them to dig a pit and fall in. And that's exactly what he does here. You see, they were there on their throne. Jehoshaphat and Ahab in their great splendor with these 400 prophets in front of them creating a great show saying that they were going to win. And here comes this wiry fellow out of prison trying to get used to the light when he was walking that way. And he tells them that he's heard the word of the Lord. And when he tells them <laughs> he wouldn't have been voted in the ministerial society. He said, he said, all these 400 preachers here are lying. So one of the 400 preachers went over and whopped him right in the face. And he said, which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me and went to you? And Micaiah is not at a loss for words. He said, you'll know in that day when you go inside your inner chamber and hide yourself. That's when you'll know. Do you remember that one time the Lord Jesus was led into the presence of Caiaphas, the high priest? And when the Lord Jesus bore testimony to who he was, even the Messiah, the Son of God, someone came and smote him in the face. They blindfolded him first and smote him. And they said, who is it that smote him? Do you remember on another occasion, Paul was in the presence of the high priest also, and he bore a testimony to Jesus, and one came and smote him in the face? So Micaiah is in company with some New Testament prophets, too, who spoke out against the evil that they saw round about them and who bore an honest testimony. The earliest Christians had to suffer a great bit. Jesus said in John 15, 20, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in Acts chapter 4, we read that those earliest Christians rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Now, all of this means that sometimes we have to stand alone for God. And this is the way it's been down through history. And it's something that we ought to pay attention to. Faithful men have found this to be true. When I think of my old church history professor, Dr. William C. Robinson at Columbia Seminary, I can still remember the fire in his voice and the vigor of his expression 
when we were studying about the formulation of the Nicene Creed, and we were hearing about people who contested the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is not the Son of God, and how there was held a great council at Nicaea, and how there was a little tiny man by the name of Athanasius, a little tiny man by the name of Athanasius who was determined that he would defend the full deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is all God, and Jesus Christ is all man. And he was put in jail. He was put in jail. And there came to him a bishop who wanted to get him out of jail. And the bishop said some interesting words to him. He said, Athanasius. Athanasius, the emperor is against you. Athanasius, the council of bishops, is against you. Athanasius, all of the city of Alexandria, where he was bishop, is against you. Athanasius, the world is against you. And little tiny Athanasius uttered words which have become a slogan for courage down through the years. The world against Athanasius. Very well. Then Athanasius against the world. And he stood for the deity of Christ. And we praise God that he did. And that's the way it's been. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he wrote to some people who were being subverted from the Christian faith that they had been taught and were being brought back under a bondage which was not the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul said some words that were harsh, stinging words to these people. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should fall away from the truth which I delivered unto you? And then finally he said those touching words, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's Galatians 4.16. I've often told this congregation the way that verse got stamped into my mind. A person who loved the Old Testament and who led me to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe the Bible was a person who taught English for 50 years and whose brother was the first of the five-star admirals, James Otto Richardson. She was a teacher by the grace of God. She had studied at Oxford, and she was a brilliant person. And she gave me a room to live in her home, in exchange for which I did the yard work, and I had an opportunity to go to college. And one day she had corrected me about something that was wrong in my conduct. And I thought she was just old-fashioned and didn't understand young people. So in a huffy way, I didn't speak to her around the house for a few days. I did my chores, but I decided that I wouldn't speak to her. And I'll never forget what she did. She took a little piece of paper and she wrote Galatians 4.16. And she put it on the table, the study table in my room. I said, man, I wouldn't even look it up in the Bible. Then finally I got curious, and I looked it up in the Bible. 
And when I got to it, it said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And you know, I broke down crying. And I went into her room and I asked her to forgive me because I knew that she loved me enough to confront me with something that was wrong. She loved me enough to confront me with something that was wrong. We live in a nation where so much evil has become so acceptable that one person, a thoughtful person, who is known nationwide, a member of our congregation, said that Sodom and Gomorrah would blush at the sins of America today. There is so much that is evil. And there are so many preachers who chime in to make it comfortable for people to accept an evil way of life and do not demand the holiness of God. And when we do this, we do a terrible, terrible thing. We compromise away what God wants us to remember and what God intends for us to keep in our hearts. And this is not simply an Old Testament passage. In the Bible, we're not only told about Satan being confronting, confronting Job, a good man, and seeking permission to test him and fails and hear he tests Ahab and succeeds. And later on, if you'll read the rest of chapter 22 this afternoon, you'll see that an arrow shot at a venture spells death to Ahab. But if you read in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, from a new translation, read it from the best, fresh new translation you can get. We are warned that the coming of the lawless ones will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displaying all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in all sorts of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they will believe the lie, and so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now that's what happens. We harden our hearts like Pharaoh until Moses walks away from him and Pharaoh says, Get out of my court. I'll never see your face again. And Moses says, You have well spoken, Pharaoh. I will see your face no more again because Pharaoh died. And the same thing happens here. Micaiah is sent to go back to prison and eat the bread and the water of affliction. And he turned to all of the crowd of people. When the king shouted out to him as he was being led away, don't bring this man back into my presence until I come again in peace. And he said, if you come again in peace, God is not spoken by me. And then he says to the crowd, you listen to what I've said. And they did. And they wrote it down for our understanding and for our learning today. And so what's the lesson for us? The lesson is that we want the truth. We want the mirror of God's word to show us what sexual morality should be and live by it. 
We want the Bible to teach us what integrity and honesty should be and to live by it. And where we have lied or deceived, we need to correct and make right. And we do not want to make alliances with that which is ungodly and compromised. We want to be faithful and true to God. I remember a few years ago we sung this last hymn. We had a wonderful group of Jesus people on our com- on our campus at that time. And the choir was up here on the platform then. And uh, we were singing hymn number 352. And if you'll look at it, we're going to sing it as our closing hymn. And you think about whether or not you ought to rededicate your life to the Lord and reaffirm your integrity and devotion to him. Because it's very important, not only the invitation that comes forward, but the invitation that goes out of the church determined to live a holier, godlier life. This is what's missing in our world today. Oh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, walked across the quadrangle at Oxford when he received an honorary degree at the same time Roger Kipling did. And he said, young feller, how is it with your soul? And someone said to Kipling, would, uh, to William Booth, would you say this to Roger Kipling on such an occasion as this? And William Booth said, I would stand on my hands and beat a tambourine if I could see a soul saved. You see, there was a desire and a zeal for God that we need to have. Don't be afraid of being a fool for Christ's sake. We need to be faithful to it. And the young people, the Jesus people who sang here, you know what they sang this? They sang, wise up, O men of God, to have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Let us bow in prayer. I am but one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, God helping me, I will do. O God, our Father, create within us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, right living and right thinking. Create within us a desire for sanctification, for holiness of life, and conduct, that we may be worthy examples of those who follow Jesus Christ. Help us to wise up and not listen to the pressures of the world about us, but to be faithful to the promise we have made to Jesus, to look into his word deeply and to walk faithfully with him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with you all, now and forevermore. Conference Hour speaker for today has been Dr. Calvin Thielman. Today's Conference Hour message is available on tape from Box 1000, Montreat, North Carolina, 28757. Please identify the message by speaker and subject. The address again is Tapes, P.O. Box 1000, 
Montreat, North Carolina, 28757. This is WFGW and WMIT-FM, Black Mountain, North Carolina. Listen each weekday at 1.05 p.m. and at 7.05 p.m. each evening on WMIT for the conference hour, a time of challenge and inspiration. Speakers for this coming week's conference hour messages will be on Tuesday, Charles Colson. On Wednesday, we'll have a repeat broadcast of the Hour of Decision. And on Thursday and Friday, Craig Skinner from the Ben Lippin Conference Center will be bringing the messages. invite you now to stay tuned for inspirational music. Mm-hmm. 